The scripture reads, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You'll come with me over to the book of Philippians, just a few pages to the right, Philippians chapter 3, and we'll read verse 13. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Right, get me get me stirred up. Thank you. Thank you so much. If the purpose of our meeting here today has been to worship, uh, then I think we've already been there. It's a blessing to be here. Thank you for your many kindnesses and the opportunity to be here and you're putting up with this old... Uh, redneck. I appreciate being here. I want you to find your place in the book of Psalms. Psalm 143. We'll get there in just a moment. <clears throat> Psalm 143. This is one of David's psalms, and it has been suggested that this psalm was written during the rebellion of Absalom. One thing is obvious, it was a time of great internal struggle and mental anguish for David. I believe, looking prophetically into the future, that this psalm will probably be used by the Jews during the Great Tribulation period, when in their great extremity, they will use it to express their sense of need to God. This psalm has a great use for us Today, and I feel very strongly impressed to speak to you from it. In the Bible reading today, we emphasized this verse in Ephesians 5.19, where we're exhorted to speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The age in which we live is a very frustrating time for us Christians. There's something inborn in us when we are saved that wants to do something to help the society about us. Like David 
we often experience mental anguish and internal struggles over what is happening around us. Like David, we are bound under the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ to prayer and waiting. Let's take a look today for a few moments with what David says in this psalm. First we see David's reasoning. He prays almost as though God may not answer him. In Psalm 143, verse 1, we read, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. It's almost as if he's prefacing all these remarks with, Please, hear my prayer. O Lord. He probably still has a guilty conscience over the affair with Bathsheba. It must be remembered that although his sin with Bathsheba had been put away, he remembered Nathan's words that he would never outlive the consequences on the human level. Our past often arises out of the ashes to accuse us and even to dilute our faith in God's complete forgiveness. This is a big problem for many of God's children today. We know, theoretically, we know that he has forgiven us. We know that. He knows, David knew, that what God had forgiven, God had forgotten, theoretically. But the past constantly comes back to haunt us doesn't it? Who do you think brings that to our memory? Not God. God doesn't recall it to us. God has forgotten it. David says here, please hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. If someone were to come to me today with deep problems, something accusing them from their past, I believe the scriptural way to deal with this situation would be to ask the following question. Now, tell me about the problems you have not yet confessed. Tell me about the things that you have not brought to the Lord specifically and asked his forgiveness for. 
Well, then that brother or sister might say to me, well, I have committed all of this sin in the past. I've committed it to him, but I hate myself. I don't like me because I did this thing or I had this thought. I just cannot get past it. It will not leave me alone. I will ask the question then, have you truly been to the Lord and specifically said this to the Lord, confessed this to the Lord, named it to the Lord? Have you done this? The answer will probably come back, yes, yes I have, but it still bothers me. I will then say, the only sins that I can help you with are those that you have not confessed. Those are the only ones I can offer you advice on. I can only talk to you about that which you have not spoken out with the Lord. The person answers, well, I have asked forgiveness for all of them. Then I will respond and say, let's talk about your future. Let's talk about the future. Let's talk about your growth in the Lord. It will not help us to talk about something which God has already forgiven. For us to discuss that, would be assuming that there is something that God has forgiven but has not forgotten. And that would be unbelief. Listen to the writer of Hebrews, chapter 10 and verse 17, where God says, and their sins, plural, and iniquities, plural, will I remember no more. The all-knowing God has put your sin in the sea of forgetfulness and has put up a no-fishing sign. He's forgotten it. It's done with. Then the person might say to me, but Brother Griggers, I cannot forget it. It troubles me. I'm going to say something very important here. Then I would say to that brother or sister, now we have found the real sin that we're dealing with. It is the sin of refusing to forget what God has forgiven. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and the verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And listen closely. 
and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And that brings us back to the scripture reading for this morning, Philippians 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing, one thing, single-minded, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Now we come to the second point. David's depression. I faint not want to use that word. It is a terrible word. But David says in 143, Psalm 143, verse 4, Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed my spirit, says the great psalmist, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. What a terrible state for a Christian to be in. This is what psychologists call depression. David is indeed a man after God's own heart. And yet he confesses to us here that his spirit is overwhelmed. The word overwhelmed means to show feebleness. David's inner strength is absolutely depleted. It's gone. Have you ever been there? I hate to admit it, but I have. I have. Have you ever been there? You're trapped. You're surrounded by the enemy. And you are embarrassed because other Christians know you to be a strong Christian. And you're embarrassed. And to confess that openly, or to talk about it openly, would be damaging to your good reputation. My friends, if a good man like David had his depression and confessed it openly, and we see that it is not out of the ordinary to do this. David's depression, it was a fact. It was a fact. Now, thirdly, I'd like to talk about David's meditation. David moves from introspection to meditation. He moves out of looking inward and dissecting his own heart. You know, if you ever get an open wound and you finally come to a place where it's healing, 
and it begins to itch. You, you know what I mean? That means it's healing. But then we're tempted to play with it, to scratch it. And then the infection that comes on top of the old wound is worse than the wound itself. So David moves away from introspection to meditation upon the Lord and upon past victories. He thinks back. You know, sometimes it just will do you good not to ask the Lord to give you anything or do anything for you. And just get you a pencil and piece of paper and sit down and begin to write out the things that you should be thankful for. just this morning taking a cup of water and drinking clean, clear water. I'm watching mother and daughter standing beside each other here today singing. And I rejoiced. I rejoiced. What a blessing. Something to be thankful for rather than picking at the sore of past difficulties, go on. Find a reason to thank the Lord that that little thing's itching a bit. It's healing. It's going to be all right. The psalmist said in Psalm 143, verse 5, I remember. I remember. I remember. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. He remembers all the great victories of the past where God stepped in and gave complete victory in an otherwise impossible situation. He remembers the time of God's forgiveness. He rehearses to himself the time and the instant when God heard the confession and God forgave it. He remembers that. He remembers the time that God forgave the situation with Bathsheba. He remembers the failures in raising his son, Absalom. And he remembers how God gave victory and how he forgave him. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications in thy faithfulness. Not in my faithfulness. In thy faithfulness. Answer me. Not in my righteousness. In thy righteousness. Hear me. Respond to me. Talk to me. Now, we come to the fourth thought. David's stretching out his hands. 
He says in verse 6, I stretch forth my hands unto thee, my soul thirsteth after thee as a thirsty land. Selah. Think about it. Meditate on that. Stop. Pause. Think about what you've just said. I stretch forth my hands unto thee. My soul thirsteth after thee. This is very important what I'm about to say. And I am absolutely confident that God told me to tell you this. First, David looked within and it increased his depression. Secondly, he looked back to remember that God is all-powerful and all-merciful. And then he looked up and stretched out empty hands and asked the Lord, fill my hands. Lord, thank you for averting me from myself and bringing me to thee. He looked within, he looked back, he looked up, and that's where he found help. Secondly, David states that though he is depressed, he still has a thirst for God. Now that's an interesting thought, and it leads me to a number of other thoughts. The desire is there to be right with God. There's something in this man although the devil has gone in there and dug something up and made him consider it and think about something that God had long ago cleansed and forgiven and even in spite of all that, there's something inside this man. He's thirsty. He, he wants it. I remember growing up in South Alabama, my grandmother had outside this old house, at the back of the house, one of those old-fashioned water pumps and a wash basin. She said, now, Jimbo, you go in there and wash your hands. She called me Jimbo. Ah, me and my cousin worked something out. We didn't want to wash both hands. So he would hold my hand and we'd wash hands like that. And then we got one hand washed. Ah, it's how wicked we were, you know. But attached to that water pump was a deep well. And I have never forgotten the taste of water out of that well. In all of these years, in 77 years, I have never forgotten the taste of that water. And one day I came to know Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God moved into my heart. Something began to bubble inside of me, and I got a taste of something that I want more of it. And the devil tries to cloud that well. Depressed Christians, are you listening? Depressed Christians are not handling 
information well. Depression is not God's will for his children. But Psalm 143 tells us that it is a distinct possibility. However, the fact that they will search the scriptures or perhaps come to their pastor or to some other spiritual leader and seek help indicates that there is a thirst, that there's something more that they want. They want it out of their lives and they want to come to God again. They want to be back on a right footing with the Lord. The Christian mind is the staging area for information. And that information is information that we are going to allow to affect our lives, sometimes good and sometimes for the bad. But that mind is where the devil is trying to stop you. Much of the information that comes to us, we throw in the rubbish bin quickly. We have no trouble with it. But after all, we are rational beings. And if the re information seems reasonable to us, Sometimes we keep it around and wonder if perhaps it will be useful later. You understand? And the devil knows how to put a virus right there. Let's say that you have a past sin that reemerges into the staging area of your mind. You cannot deny that it happened. It did. You did it. It happened. It came about. And it is so embarrassing that you allowed yourself to be lured by Satan into that sin that you hate yourself for. And now, listen, now to punish yourself, you go blind to the fact that God has forgiven you. I'm going to repeat that. In order to punish yourself over this bad conscience that you have all of a sudden, you go absolutely blind to the fact that God has forgiven it. And you refuse to accept his forgiveness and go on in your Christian life. You're simply punishing yourself out of pride. It's pride. And that egg is laid by the devil. Pride. And in this current situation, there is no solution. If you cannot admit that you were really wicked enough to do what you did, and also admit that God is great enough, big enough, powerful enough to forgive it, then you are doomed to spend the rest of your life cutting yourself, bruising yourself, misusing yourself in some way or the other until you understand that it's been forgiven. The fifth thought I'd like to talk about is David's des desperation. Psalm 143, verse 7. David's desperation. Hear me speedily, O Lord. Hear me now. Hear me quickly. Do it now. Hear me speedily, O Lord. My spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me. I want you to, if you take notes or you underscore in your Bible, 
underscore that word face. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Now, David finds a way here to confess his weakness. After all, he is a man after God's own heart, and perhaps this is part of the reason why he's a man after God's own heart. You could say that David doesn't have much self-esteem, right? When we get desperate enough to get honest about ourselves, then we are finally close to a solution. If we can get that far, we can get a solution. There are two things that I want to speak about. Pride and unbelief are at the root of depression. Pride and unbelief are the very root of depression. We hate ourselves because we embarrassed ourselves with that sin. We hate ourselves because we cannot have victory like other Christians that we admire, or at least we think it, that's the case. Now listen to the psalmist. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplication. In thy faithfulness answer me and in thy righteousness. We just cannot get honest and admit that we are helpless without the Lord and are not the great strong people that we think we ought to be. We just cannot get a hold of that truth. David admits publicly he writes it down. He makes a song out of it. And we're still singing that song. David admits publicly, my spirit faileth. I'm at my end. I can't go any further. And he says, hear me speedily, verse 7. O Lord, my spirit faileth. Hide not thy face from me. And he makes a great request. Hide not thy face from me. Now that flies in the face of everything that I thought was the right way out. I thought that surely he would ask for God's strong arm. I thought he wanted God's strong arm to dash Absalom, to take care of the enemy. And at some point that will happen. But that's not his prayer. He asked the Lord, give me a glimpse of your face. What's missing? Lord, please let me see your face. I want you to understand the picture. If David wrote this psalm during the rebellion of Absalom, you would think, he would want the arm of God, the strength of God. That's not David. When David, with David, there must be restoration of fellowship before there is any consideration of power. No fellowship, no power. No fellowship, no power. David says, the thing that matters more than anything to me 
is that I see the Lord's face. I must be restored to worship. I must be restored to worship. Now notice the importance that David attaches to this. He says, lest I be like unto them that go down to the pit. David says, the thing that makes me different from the unsaved about me is worship. The ability to worship Almighty God. To be so full of thankfulness in me and adoration in me and love in me that nothing else can cloud that. And Lord, I need that again. I need to be in your presence. I need to learn how to worship again. Help me with that. Dear friends, successful worship is where the worshiper knows that he is accepted by the one who is being worshipped. That his worship is acceptable. Listen to Ephesians 1 verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in the beloved. If the sin has been forgiven, you are accepted in his presence. And you don't have to bow and fall on your face and grovel. We're allowed to stand in his presence. What a privilege. No one in the Old Testament had that privilege. David had lost the face of the Lord behind the veil of a self-life. Selfishness. He became occupied with his problem instead of with his Lord. What should occupy us, dear friends, is our Lord and not our problem. If we'll occupy ourselves with him, everything will just work out fine. Here is the fact. We, as Christians, are accepted in the Beloved. Thank God I'm accepted in him. I'm accepted in him. Therefore, I do not have to deal with that self-sin that hides his face from me. That which hides my worship, that which hides his countenance from me, is my own self-life. It's a veil. I have to realize that he has forgiven me. I do not have to fear when I come before him in my worship. I am accepted in the person of the beloved Son of God. That does not make me better than anybody. The emphasis is not upon me in any means. It is the one in whom I am accepted. Thank God that in heaven right now the Lord Jesus is standing there and my name is written all over him. And I'm accepted because of him. My name is written down not only in a book and put away on a shelf. He is my acceptance in heaven. What a blessing. That's called grace. That's called mercy. And it stands as absolute truth before the throne of God. This psalm 
I'm afraid has gotten much too long for this simple sermon. But David is now on the right track, and I want to summarize and close. David is on the right track now. Worship has been restored, and he can ask for the restoration of his quiet time, his time alone with the Lord. He has come in steps to a place where he can now say, Lord, I want to have that joy of enjoying reading my Bible, my prayer time, my fellowship with other Christians on a spiritual plane. I want that back, Lord. I'm thirsty for that. Look at verse 8. Psalm 143, verse 8. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. For in thee do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. For I lift up my soul unto thee. He can reassert his faith. Cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. And I underscore, for in thee do I trust. Just three thoughts. He can request guidance, verse 8 and verse 10. He says, cause me to know the way wherein I should walk. In verse 10 he says, teach me to do thy will. So he can request God's guidance. Now he can request deliverance from his enemies. It would have been easy on the front end to pray God deal with his enemies, but no, the problem is not David's enemies, it's David. And now he can request deliverance from his enemies. Verse 9, deliver me, O Lord, from my, mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. We sang about it, didn't we? And he covereth me there with his hand. What a, what a blessed place to be. You know, when I went to school, it was a pretty simple time at Evergreen High School. And if you had your eye on some sweet young lady, and she had maybe blinked her eye at you, if that were the case, I would write her name in the palm of my hand. And I'd go around all day looking at that name. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. And I remember her blink in her eye. Look at that name. Praise God, we're written in the palm of his hand. And he walks around heaven remembering who you are. And one, he's blinking his eyes. He's blinking his eyes. It's going to be all right. One day you'll be with me. He now can pray for personal revival. Look at Psalm 143, verse 11. He says, Quicken me, O Lord, for thy name's sake, for thy righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. That word quicken is the same word that's used in Psalm 85, verse 6, where he says, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? David is asking the Lord to take direct action upon his depression and to restore the relationship that he once had. Revival. Revival is the restoration of a former quality of life. 
It is God giving the thirsty soul water. Water. Listen to the last verse. Listen carefully. John chapter 7, verse 37 and verse 38. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man, if any man hear my, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And then he says, I think with a, a loud voice, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Not cloudy water. Living water. So where are you? Where are you in your life? Perhaps there's something been plaguing you. Perhaps the devil has dug something up. Perhaps the devil has thrown something onto you, made you dusty, and you can't get a hold of what God wants. I think we've discussed today how to get back to his presence. Would you stand with me? I know it's unusual for you but would you stand with me? And would you direct your attention here? Right here. Now the devil's going to try to get you to look somewhere else. Look here. The Lord loves you. And if you're saved, he wants you in a right relationship with him. And he wants to deal with that thing that you've been struggling over. I'd like to pray with you. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you, Lord, I plead with you, I say to you, please, allow the blessed Holy Spirit to take the word of God and speak to every heart here and restore every Christian that has fallen a bit back to this great life, back to seeing your face, back to understanding your grace and your mercy and understanding that you have forgiven the past. It does not exist. It's done with. I ask Heavenly Father to make people today to understand the importance as Christians of what we've talked about here today. Lord, I'm sure that in such a crowd there's someone here that has never come to know you and they've never had that sweet taste of water from heaven. Would you make them thirsty today? May the blessed Holy Spirit come in great power and superintend over these few minutes together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.